Hey, hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome into a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. From the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio, I'm your host, John Harris. Glad to be with you, and we are chock full old good stuff tonight. It's as if I'm Irish. Chock full good stuff. I don't know. Maybe I'm Irish. Maybe I'm not. Either way, glad to be with you on this evening. We've got coaches, assistant coaches in the first segment. We're going to go behind enemy sidelines with DP Sidhu in the second segment. And then we're going to finish up with a couple of interviews down the stretch that I had a really good time with uh, a guy I interviewed yesterday. You're going to hear from him, Shaq Lawson, one of the toughest dudes you're going to find anywhere. And I asked him about a moment back at the end of his college career, which sort of helped write the book on Shaq in that you talk about toughness. So we'll talk with Shaq later in the show. But we're going to kick off this show with some love for the assistant coaches. Last night, Tuesday night, we get a text from uh, Omar. And if you know Omar Majub, he's just the best. And he's like, hey, it's assistant coach tomorrow. Who do you want? And I jumped right on it. I wanted right out of the shoot. I wanted to talk to cornerbacks coach Dino Vasso because... Well, Dino is one of the guys I haven't had a chance to meet in the building. So I grabbed Dino Vasso, Drew Doherty, caught up with Greg Jackson. D.P. Sidhu had some opportune time with James Campen. And Mark Vandermeer, well, he had an opportunity to spend some time with Danny Barrett. So we are going to get rolling right off the top here with me. I'm hosting. So... I'm putting my interview right at the top, and I had a good time talking, uh, going off the field today with cornerbacks coach, corner, not quarterbacks, cornerbacks coach, Dino Vasso. All right, I've been waiting for this interview for a while. Cornerbacks coach, Dino Vasso, joining me, John Harris. And coach, I know you hear that, and you're like, wait a second, what do you mean you've been waiting for this? Well, way back in the day, I played defensive back, so I'd love to talk about the DBs. I got to just start with... How's Houston been? I don't know if you've had a chance to see much of it with training camp, but how's been the transition coming over to Houston? It's been awesome. Wife loves it. Uh, you've been out here with the heat. Uh, yeah. We're getting accustomed to it day by day, but <laughs> thus far we love it. Have you got a chance to see much of the city? Uh, not yet. <laughs> not yet. Uh, getting acclimated uh, with the new scheme, the new system, so not much free time right now, but uh, we'll get to that at some point here. You know, we always talk about players that have to adjust to a new system, but when you change cities, you got to change systems too. How's that kind of gone for you, learning a new system? I mean, I'm sure you, over the years you've learned all the coverage, you know all the coverages, but verbiage being different, how's that transition gone for you as a coach? Yeah, it hasn't been too bad. The biggest thing is terminology. I mean, yeah. everybody plays cover one, two, three, and yeah. four. Yeah. Um, so it hasn't been much different that way. Uh, the biggest thing is terminology and being able to translate uh, to something that you've played before. With your group back there, you got a guy in Bradley Roby. What have you seen from a guy that's been around, he's kind of been there, done that? What have you seen from Robe, kind of the leader of that group back there? I've said this about him before. He has experience, and, and you can't teach experience. Yeah. He's just a smart football player, understands splits, leverage, formation, ID. Um, so it's good to have him, a veteran in the room, that could teach some of the young guys. Now, you got a couple of guys that are uh, apparently coming in. We've not seen the official results or the official notice, but you got a couple of new guys coming in. When you do get somebody new back there, what's kind of the key in teaching them 
the system? What's kind of the biggest key in kind of getting a new guy up to speed, if you will? So the easiest way is to try to translate it to something that they've learned before. So yeah. I have a history with Rasul Douglas. This is his first day on the grass. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's easier for me to, to translate that because I spent three years with him in Philly. So, right. A um, little bit tougher with guys that I haven't spent time with, but uh, guys that I have a history and a past with, it's yeah. a little bit easier that way. Do you guys in the coach's office make fun of Lovey Smith's beard at all? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we don't mess with the, the white bearded man. <laughs> we do not mess with the white bearded man. <laughs> How has it been getting to know him and getting to learn uh, his methodology and his thought process in coaching defense? I mean, it's great. He's just got a, a wealth of knowledge, so I've just tried to be a sponge around him. He's, he's coached football longer than I've been alive, so I'm just trying to spend as much time as, as I can around Coach and, and, uh, and learn as much as I can from him. That's not something you share with him, right? About <laughs> him coaching longer than you've been alive. I don't I'm know sure. if that's a fact, but I'm, but I'm, I'm guessing that it is. Uh, but I have not shared that with him, no. Yeah, at that point. Okay, I started this a couple weeks ago with a few of the players. and It's called Say Something Nice About. That's just a way of being positive. So it's pretty simple. Say something nice about, ooh, how about this one? Safety's coach Greg Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> Always got a smile on his face. <laughs> Love I, I kind of want to know what's behind the laughter there, but I won't. I won't say that. I say um, that because he always wears his mask. But we, we, we know that there's a smile behind the mask. <laughs> <laughs> you should get one of those masks that actually has his face, so you that can see the nice. smile. That would be nice. Um, okay, say something nice about Terrence Mitchell. Ooh, loves the Oregon Ducks, and he's always <laughs> he's always repping his college, head to toe, head to toe in, in Oregon Ducks gear. <laughs> I love these guys that will rep their cause. I, I, I can appreciate it. All right, say something nice. Oh, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna tap in here. Say something nice about a guy that was a real problem for us, Marlon Humphrey. Ooh, he's he's tough. He's tough. Uh, can play inside, outside. Uh, sticky in coverage. He's smart. He's quick. He can run. I can't say enough good things about Marlon Humphrey. What? What triggered for him? Because it felt like early on, like, okay, is this going to really be the trick here? And then all of a sudden, it, he went to a whole different level. What triggered for him? And what are some of the things that maybe you could translate on to some of the guys here? Uh, I, I think just, just experience and being comfortable uh, within the scheme and the game. Uh, that, that comes with, with playing the game and, and uh, just time on the job, time on task. And, and he has that now. Dino, I'm glad you're here. Thank you very much for your time, my friend. Thank you, John. Appreciate it. Now, I don't know if you could hear that uh, – interview for me at the end I was getting a little winded because I was walking and talking uh that's just showing my age Dino could have probably done that for another 30 minutes just walk and talk no big deal but I started getting a little winded at the end man uh it was a scorcher out there today but we all made it through including running backs coach and one of our faves, this guy that's been around for a few years now, and we love having him here. I think he does a great job with the running backs. He coached up in the CFL. I know Andre Ware uh, speaks so highly of Danny Barrett. And Mark Vandermeer had a chance to catch up with the Texans running back coach. With the thunder in the background, Coach Danny Barrett. Coach, what's the vibe like with this coaching staff? Everything seems very positive and energetic. You know, you, you bang on with that. You know, lots of energy from all the guys, lots of experience, you know, and uh, it's a great group to work with. You know, we're excited, you know, to be together finally, you know, starting to put together, you know, you know, the system and everything in place. We see it coming together the way we uh, envision it being. 
I know careers are at different stages for everybody, but what about these running backs? Have you ever had so many big names, so to speak? Not in one room. You know, it's uh, at the same time, I should say. You know, there's been one guy here, one guy there over the course of my career. But, you know, to have the you know, room with what we have now, you know, a makeup of veteran guys and some youth as well, you know, the camaraderie is outstanding. I'm excited about, you know, where we are as a group and how we progress so far during camp. How does special teams factor into the equation with these guys? Because not all the veterans play special teams. Well, that's always the key. You know, uh, you do have to find ways to try to figure that out. Um, again, you know, from a team standpoint, you know, these guys will do whatever is asked of them, whether it's in a backup capacity or some type of specialty role on a special team. You know, uh, I'm sure Coach Ross and uh, Coach Baker figure that out. But our guys are willing to do whatever it takes to win a football game. What does having a guy like Mark Ingram do for you? That kind of veteran leadership, his personality, all of it. Love it. From day one, just talking to him from the day one, you know, uh, when we first had a chance to talk back uh, when he signed and everything, nothing has changed with him, and that's what I like about him. He's a consistent pro. He comes to work every day, the same attitude, whether it's in the meeting room or on the football field. It's contagious. It's infectious for the rest of the guys, not only the offense but the whole team. So his veteran leadership is invaluable. As a former quarterback, how does that help you as a running backs coach? Well, again, anytime you have experience, you know, uh, again, talking to these guys, a guy like Mark, David, you know, Rex, Phil, all these guys, you know, they come from different places and learn different things. And as a former quarterback, you know, I was never satisfied with knowing enough. I'm always trying to learn more stuff. What you guys do here in this situation. So it's been uh, it's been valuable for me just you know, just uh, being able to, you know, talk about different situational football from where they come from. And it's helped me out tremendously as well to be a better running back coach. What rules would you change in the CFL to make it more palatable for American football fans? Would you add an extra down, eliminate the running start? How would you handle it, coach? Well, I think the key to to make it, you know, more comparable, because, again, the CFL game is the CFL game, and that's the uniqueness of it. But I think adding the other down would probably give the fans a little bit more familiarity with everything. The unlimited motion, you got to have that, you know. But the extra down, the defensive guys there probably think I'm losing my mind. But if I'm an offensive coach, if I had an extra down, I'd love it. All right, Coach. We have a lot of coaches, assistants, staff members who are former quarterbacks. I mean, you have Nick Casario over here. You have Matt Bazargan. You have Dylan Thompson. You have you. Who's got the best camp arm here? What do you think? <laughs> you know what? I'm not one to. I'm not one to. You know, talk about myself. I never have. I let the numbers speak for themselves. How about right. that? David Culley too. I have to mention him. He was a quarterback. Pep Hamilton. I mean, yeah. you got all of these guys on staff. I let the numbers speak for themselves. How about that? All right, Coach. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. Thank you. That man epitomizes cool. I mean, he's just a cool cat and love having him around. Dino's the same way. Talking to Dino, he's just real chill, just young dude. I mean, these guys have got poise and calm, and I love seeing that because you know, we've not always had that with the Texans, a very calm, cool, poised uh, leadership. So it's nice to kind of see that uh, from those guys in particular. Now, another guy who... I, I couldn't pick two guys. And you know me, I played in the secondary back at Brown University, played a little corner, played a little safety. So I'm always interested in defensive backs and their coaches. So I was really happy to pick uh, an opportunity to have an opportunity to talk with Dino Vasso. 
But I also wanted to talk to Greg Jackson, but I could only pick one. So I picked Dino. My man Drew Doherty decided he was going to catch up with the former New York Giants safety who played with Bill Parcells. How about a Drew's Dozen with safety's coach Greg Jackson? You were the assistant coach, Greg Jackson. What was the first nickname that Bill Parcells gave you as a player? Greg. <laughs> that was it? That was it, man. I've heard he gives everyone a peculiar nickname. But I never had a nickname. He always said Greg. When I heard him say Greg, that means I was doing something wrong. Uh-oh. But you didn't, you didn't do too much wrong with him, did you? you? Oh, he was a great coach, man. And, you know, one thing about Bill and all the players said it that played under him, he always knew when to push the buttons at the right time. He knew when guys were not into it during practice. He knew when to pick the tempo up. He knew when to start practice and start it over. You know, that's the type of coach he was. My hat's off to him. Even though I was with him for two years, you know, it was a big, big part of my career. What was it like? You get drafted. You had been an All-American. You mean one of the best players in LSU history, and you go to the Giants. What was that transition like back then? It's funny because I think the transition wasn't too bad because at the time in college, I had Mike Archer as my DB coach and defense coordinator, and then I had uh, John Fonks who was in, you know, had a lot to do with the NFL. So my transition wasn't that hard because when I was at LSU, we were doing a lot of the similar things that the Giants were doing, playing cover two, cover three, playing man coverage. You know, we were simple on defense, just like we are now. And it was just all about flying to the football. Let's go back. Miami's where you're from. Miami Heat versus Baton Rouge Heat versus Houston Heat. It's sort of different. Miami Heat is it's hot, but it's breezy. You get breeze. Louisiana and Houston, totally different. It's all humidity. <laughs> all humidity. Now, and we're ping-ponging around here, you have a college degree in communications, broadcasting. How'd that all come about? Well, when I got to college, I didn't know what I wanted to major in. I went f- from everywhere. And finally, when I, I didn't finish once I got drafted and I decided to just wait until my career was over, it was the best thing I ever could have did because I focused more on school after that. What made me get into communications was the fact that I was being interviewed as a player. You know, and I thought it was important when I presented myself, it would be a big part of my growing success. So I thought about, you know, I need to, you know, get my degree in communications, which I'm happy with. Did you ever consider taking it further and no. doing that route instead of coaching? No. no, when I'm done, this is this is my bug here. No I, TV or radio for you no, in the future. I, when I when I uh, decided coaching, I probably was in my sixth, fifth or sixth year in the league because I didn't think I was going to play 12 years, but I happened to do that. So after that, I just got the coaching bug, man, and got into coaching after that. What'd you do for fun off the field in Baton Rouge? Nothing. 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 Why not? Nothing. I tell you what we did do. We ate crawfish. Ate crawfish behind Broussard Hall. That's all we did. We got crawfish here. Have you done any of that while you've been in Houston? No, I don't I don't even eat too much crawfish. You know, when I leave here, I go straight back home to my family because we still have our house in Frisco, and we have a house in New Orleans, so I go back and visit them. How are they doing? They're doing good. They're doing good. It's kind of hard, but the great thing about it is now, you know, with the technology now, we have FaceTime. So I get to talk to them every single day. What's the best part of this job here? I think the best part of this job right now is uh, with Coach Lovey Smith, I'm able to coach. I'm able to actually coach guys individually like the safeties. That's one of the reasons I got into this business is to teach and give back. 
to these guys and let them understand and just try to get them to see the game as a not so fast just to slow it down for them because a lot of those guys when they come into the league they're looking for everything and you got to break things down for them to, to slow the game down for them and once you do that I mean their talent comes alive. 12 years in the NFL as a player basically the last 20 years as a coach you've, you've seen a lot which coaches have made you a better coach? Man the coaches that I've coached with. Or maybe they coached you when you were a player. Oh, Bill Belichick, Bill Parcells, Emmett Thomas. Some heavy hitters right yeah. there. Ray Rhodes. I mean, it's it's a ton of guys, man. Rod Russ, the late Rod Russ, uh, who was my defense coordinator. Jim Moore Jr. when I was with the Saints. I mean, it's, it's a Pascal, defense coordinator. I mean, everybody, every coach I've been under, defense coordinator, defensive back coach, I've learned something from Mike Nolan, who was with me at LSU, and then he came to the Giants, and I was with him one year. I learned a lot. So it's a whole bunch of guys I have learned from as a, as a player when they were a coach and when I became a coach and the coaches I've been under. I've learned a ton. What's the most random, memorable moment from the Super Bowl win? The field goal. The field goal. That's it. Um, and we're all on one knee. And we're looking at the field goal, and somebody screamed out his scream, it's no good. And we all jumped up and started celebrating, man. You know, that was the best part, being in the Super Bowl. And I think one of the, one of the I think the second biggest is just making it there, winning in San Francisco, 15-13. I'll never forget that. We never scored a touchdown, but we scored five field goals, which was great. And the memorable moment, LT punching that ball out at the end against Roger Craig, those are memories you don't forget. You played in some huge games. I mean, you just mentioned two of them. You played in many more of them. Yeah. Do you get asked about it much by your current players ever? Yeah, I do. I do, but I don't get into that much. I really don't because when I played back then, what I try to do is, is when I talk about the past as a player, I try to bring it to the present. You know, like our system here, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Indianapolis Colts, and now us. That's what I try to bring it to. It's, it's just a, everything has been done before, and they think it's new, but it's not new. It's just something of the past, and you're just a new part of it. You know, and that's what I try to teach when I'm teaching these guys how to study, how to watch tape, how to defend guys, how to tackle and stuff like that. That's what you try to teach these guys, you know, because all the young generation think everything is new. You know, and, and it's old, but now they see it as new. So you just try to stay even keel and, and, and make them think it's new, but it's really old. <laughs> Greg Jackson, we really do appreciate the time. Best of luck this Thank season. You. Thank you very much. So that was me, Drew, and Mark with Dino Vasso and Danny Barrett and Greg Jackson. Now, DPC, you caught up with James Campen, but you know what? We're going to save that. We're going to save that, I think, for Friday for the – uh, day before we take on the Buccaneers. So we're going to save that because if I had that interview, trust me, Co- Coach Campen, he can he can go a little bit. Uh, he can talk a little bit, I, which I love. You, you know that. I mean, I, I like to think we're kindred spirits. I've talked to him a few times out in the field. I love, love the guy, and I love watching him coach. So we'll save that for you for Friday. So that's just a tease for about 48 hours from now, because I know I'm going to want to start off the show with that. So James Camp and DP Sidhu, that'll be on Friday. But big thanks to Dino Vasso, to Greg Jackson, and to Danny Barrett for joining us on the show. And, of course, to Omar 
uh, and uh, the PR team who have done a tremendous job. Uh, e and Lindsay, both new, have done an awesome. I love, love, love this PR team, and they were able uh, to put this together. So uh, really appreciate their help. Uh, the assistant coach is talking today to us. So we're getting near the end of training camp. Tomorrow will be the – I think training camp actually ended last week. This week was more about game prep, and that's why I haven't written a lot of Harris hits or any, any this week because it's all game prep stuff, so I can't really be giving away state secrets. But tomorrow is the last day that we'll be able to see a full practice. And I don't know with 95-degree temperatures that I'm all – unhappy about that but it is sad when that day comes um, because then we go back to seeing stretching and if we get to see practice at all but that doesn't bother me during the regular season at all because you got those games to look forward to on Sundays throughout the 18 weeks of the NFL season okay we get back we're gonna do a little enemy sidelines because DP City had a chance to catch up with Carmen Vitale of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers the world champs what has the last 12 months been like they get into all of it. They preview the game a little bit on Saturday. Yeah, it's game three of the preseason, but because both teams are playing starters, eh, a little bit of intrigue there with Tom Brady and Gronk and the guys coming from Tampa to take on your Texans. So we'll go behind enemy sidelines with Carmen Vitale and our own DP Sidhu next right here on Texans All Access. Here on Texans All Access. Here on Texans All Access. Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am John Harris, your host, football analyst, sideline reporter. And, of course, looking forward to kickoff against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Saturday night at NRG Stadium. First time with a, well, I guess it's still COVID, but uh, first time we have a preseason game in this building in, I think, right at two years. Wow. Because the last one was week four against the Rams in 2019. And then, of course, you know what happened after that. There were all kinds of trades. Clowney gets traded. Tunsil joins. Carlos Hyde is traded for. Keon Crossan is traded for. I mean, that was a crazy weekend. But either way, that preseason game against the Rams was the last preseason game that there has been at NRG Stadium. This will be the first after two road trips, so looking forward to that. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers come in, the world champs, led by a guy who has uh, won a couple of key games in his lifetime in this building, that being Tom Brady, and he brings along his band of merry men, including Bruce Arians head coach, Byron Leftwich OC, Gronk, Mike Evans, etc. Now, how much we see of those guys? Eh, hard to say, but I do think we'll see some. So we decided to go behind enemy sidelines, with a good friend of DP Cities, and that's Carmen Vitali, who covers the Buccaneers for Bucks.com. Here is their discussion about this one on Saturday. It's Enemy Sidelines, and joining me today, Tampa Bay Buccaneer staff writer and team reporter Carmen Vitali, my good friend. It's been a couple of years since we've seen each other. Welcome back. Ooh. It's the preseason, something we haven't seen in a while. So. Tell me, how is camp going for you out in Tampa Bay? You're probably sweating as much as we are in Houston, that's for sure. Yeah, I'm actually looking forward to the break because at least you guys play indoors, so we'll be indoors at your stadium, whereas our stadium, there is no reprieve whatsoever. But camp's been going well, and I think that we're all just really excited to have had it um, and to have it in kind of a normal capacity. We had fans this year uh, that came out and it was really great to see and the energy levels were up as a result. So it's been really interesting, but of course with this team, 
we brought back all 22 starters from the Super Bowl team. So it was kind of, there weren't, I feel like as many position battles as maybe we've seen in year, years past. And you kind of knew what you were getting. And that was a very interesting and kind of unique feeling for us. It is unusual after winning a championship to bring back all 22 starters. Usually you see players go to other teams, try to make more money, get a bigger contract. But for this Bucks team, how surprising was it that everyone came back? And, and do you think that's more Bruce Arians? Is it because of Tom Brady? Do you think it's just the vibe that the team has in the building? What do you think attributed to all that? Well, I can't say enough about the culture. And I think that that's the first thing that these guys point to and just how well this team was set up. But also last year, I feel like with the abbreviated preseason and getting a new quarterback in Tom Brady, there was a lot of changes to this offense and it took a while for them to sort of gel all the way. And we didn't see that until maybe the last four games of the season after the bye week, that's when they really started to kick into gear. So Believe it or not, I think these guys think that there's some unfinished business, despite the fact that they won the Super Bowl. They know that they can be so much better now that they're all together again. And I think that's just a testament to how much these guys really like each other. They like playing with one another. They love this coaching staff. I think that's gone a little under the radar, too, that everyone on this coaching staff has come back as well. And that's sometimes something you see after championship teams, too, is a lot of these coaches get poached. Uh, that hasn't happened either. And I think that the continuity is just too good to pass up. And you just feel like these guys are set up for success again this year. So why would you leave? Well, yeah. And Tom Brady's back and that's a huge part of it. So he hasn't really played a whole lot in the preseason. I know Bruce Arians said a few weeks ago that he does expect Tom Brady and the starters to play in this final preseason game. How much do you expect the starters to play? Because obviously we know what Tom Brady does uh, on the field, but do you expect to see a whole lot of the starters in Saturday's game against Texans? Yeah, actually. So Bruce kind of said it after this last game, last preseason game, where we didn't play any of the starters because of the joint practices with the Titans. Uh, he wants to see about a half out of his starters just because it's kind of this dress rehearsal. I mean, this preseason has also been weird because we've gone from four games to three. So this is kind of your dress rehearsal. You do get kind of a bye week before you go into the regular season. And Bruce wants to make sure these guys are warmed up and they have enough game speed underneath them while they, you know, prepare for Dallas and opening the entire NFL preseason. So, or the entire NFL regular season. So we're, we're expecting about a half, I think, from these guys, from the starters. And that's going to be more obviously than they played last game. And it'll be interesting just to kind of get those reps in and, and see how this team is going to start looking in its final form. Now that these guys have started game planning, they treated this whole week leading up to the Texans that this is a game you know, it's, it's no longer the, the camp days, the grueling days, that kind of stuff. This is game planning. And they have the scout team running against the first team offense, acting like the tech, the Texans. So it's going to be very interesting. And we're kind of getting back in the swing of things. Yeah, it certainly feels like it. Same thing here with the Texans, just getting back into normal practices. All right, the quarterback position, because we've seen some of the other quarterbacks now that Tom Brady's not playing too much in the preseason. They've got Blaine Gabbert, drafted Kyle Trask. They also have Ryan Griffin. What do you foresee in that quarterback battle behind Tom Brady? Um, is there a true backup? Is is Kyle Trask going to be the next quarterback of the future for the Bucs? Um, how is the quarterback position shaping up behind number 12? Yeah, I think that your clear-cut backup is still Blaine Gabbert just because Blaine Gabbert has been in Bursarian system since their days in Arizona together. So he knows this system more than anyone does, probably even more than Brady does just from a textbook standpoint because he's just been in it a lot longer. So I think he's your clear-cut backup. Uh, Ryan Griffin has been with this franchise. He's actually... Be, if he makes the active roster or the final roster this year, he will be the longest tenured Bucks quarterback um, in history because he's lasted that long as a backup quarterback. I think he'll be in his seventh season. Kyle Trask is really interesting. And I think that he's coming into just the best 
possible situation for a young quarterback because there's no pressure on him whatsoever. They, Bruce has said, you know, he's going to have time to develop. He's getting to, you know, pick Tom Brady's brain. He's getting to also have this massive room of quarterback coaches like Bruce Arians, the quarterback whisperer, all the way to Byron Leftwich, the offensive coordinator, former quarterback in this league. You've got Clyde Christensen, who's coached some of the most prolific quarterbacks in league history. And then you have Tom Moore, who's an offensive assistant, has over six decades of coaching experience, especially when it comes to the offense. So I don't know what better situation you want for a young quarterback to develop. There's going to be no pressure on him and he can just kind of take his time. And that's what we're seeing out of him. He's learning the offense. He's picking things up. I've seen a drastic improvement in him from the beginning of camp to now. And I'm sure you'll get to see him in this game, probably in the second half. All right. We well, talked about not very many position battles because of all the returning starters and veterans on this team. So how was the offseason? Because usually you head into an offseason, you talk about positions of need, guys that have left in free agency. What were positions of need for the Bucks this offseason and how did they address them? Well, I think a big aspect of the game that they addressed was special teams. That was something that Bruce Arians had identified was where they still wanted to get better. And I, you, that was reflected in this year's draft of all the guys that you kind of picked up. You got a kick returner in Jalen Darden, who's also a really good wide receiver. But then you also got kind of linebackers and safeties and cornerbacks and that you want to use on special teams more than maybe, you know, they're going to get used on their respective sides of the ball because those positions are kind of locked up. So I think you saw a lot of addressing of the special teams. We're still kind of looking at that kick returner spot. It's between Jalen Darden, Jaden Mickens, who's been on this team now for a couple of years, wide receiver, and even Keyshawn Vaughn, who was a third round pick for the team last year. And he's kind of gotten some work, especially last game in the kick return game um, in preseason. So there's a little bit of a battle there. I know that's not a sexy battle <laughs> necessarily, but we've also seen a little bit on the offensive line. Bruce, Bruce Aaron said something interesting yesterday, a couple days ago, um, where Aaron Stinney, who came in for Alex Kappa, who got hurt in the playoffs, Aaron Stinney was a plug and play player and he did so well for the Bucks down the stretch and into the Super Bowl that Bruce told us that the competition between those two for that right guard spot is closer than we think. It's still Alex Kappa's job to lose, but it's going to be very interesting, you know, to see how much Alex Kappa played this last game when none of the other starters did. He's coming back from injury. They're trying to get him a little more reps um, and, and get him more comfortable. But it was just really interesting to hear because I don't think that was on anyone's radar prior to this preseason. All right. Well, let's talk about defense because we 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 remiss if we didn't talk about the Bucks defense and that amazing Super Bowl performance. And they made news earlier this month when they made Todd Bowles the highest paid defensive coordinator, gave him a three-year contract. How does Bowles plan to build on the success of 2020 and 2021? He's got all of his starters coming back, but do you foresee anything different with his defense this year? Yeah, absolutely. So it's something Todd Bowles does every year. He retools his defense depending on his personnel and his players that he knows he has. He plays to these players' strengths, and that requires just kind of every year there's something different. So he was he was he's been in the lab this last offseason, and he got a really, really interesting piece in Joe Tryon, who was the team's first round pick and outside linebacker. And he's getting added to a room with obviously Shaq Barrett, with Jason Pierre Paul. Those guys are pretty set on the outside. But now we're seeing just some really interesting combinations, some really interesting fronts. 
Uh, I think Ryan Tannehill got a little surprised last week when he saw Shaq Barrett, JPP, and Joe Tryon all on the field at the same time. So that presents a lot of issues. It presents a lot of confusion for offenses. And I think just in general, these players being more comfortable, the secondary is so young, and now they've got two years in this system, and they're really going for that next step of understanding what teams are trying to do against them versus just, you know, kind of going out there and executing the plays that are called they're learning to actually read what these offenses are trying to do to beat them and then to counter that so it's all a big chess game to Todd Bowles and we love that here and I think these guys are really understanding how to think like him now in this next season all right Carmen what are some of the storylines that you're looking at heading into the regular season I know it's a big big regular season opener against the Dallas Cowboys but what are some of the storylines coming off a big Super Bowl championship heading into year two for Tom Brady and crew Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if they can pick up truly where they left off at the end of last season. And I think that when Tom Brady was walking off the field of the NFC Championship with Devin White, he said, we haven't even played our best ball yet. And this was going into the Super Bowl. So if if that actually tracks and you come into this season right where you left off, that's going to be the biggest thing. And obviously getting a really great opponent in the Dallas Cowboys opening the entire NFL regular season. It's going to be very interesting for Dak Prescott, seeing if he does play. I know there's been some back and forth, but all signs point to that and what this defense is going to do against a quarterback like him. Um, Those are the things that I'm looking at, you know, start the season off and then just everybody's going to, we have a target on our back. Now the Bucks have a target on their back and as someone that's been with the team for a while, that's something that's very different (laughs) coming into this season. You're going to get every team's best. And you're going to have to, it's going to be an uphill battle to get to those playoffs again, but hopefully that they can do it. And they're pretty well set up thanks to the continuity from last year. A lot changed in a year, Carmen. And you know what? I would be lying if I didn't say I was jealous when I saw you wearing your Super Bowl ring on social media, because that (laughs) is beautiful. It was a pretty surreal moment. It really was. Honestly, it hit me harder than I thought having your last name on a Super Bowl ring. It's, it's very cool. I'm telling you right now, there's nothing more that I want the rest of my life is that a Super Bowl ring with the name Harris on it that um, relates to me. Uh, that would be kind of cool. Um, and hopefully that would happen that everybody in the organization would get a ring. I don't know. Who knows? Uh, but I just want to see this organization uh, get a ring. And that would be really, really cool. But uh, Carmen's got one. And uh, I'd like to say I'm envious. And I know I shouldn't be because that's one of the deadly sins. But yeah, I'm envious. I would love to have a ring. It's funny because I don't wear any other jewelry other than my my wedding ring. That's it. That's all I wear. Super Bowl ring, I want that more than any other piece of jewelry ever. But we'll see what happens. Okay, when we get back, we're going to hear from a guy that joined the Texans this offseason in a trade. He is going to have an opportunity Saturday to really put a stake into his future with this team. And that's Shaq Lawson. That's next right here in Texans All Access. Right here in Texans All Access. Right here in Texas. We got one final segment of this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, John Harris. Glad to be with you. And on Tuesday, I think it was Tuesday. I don't know. Days all kind of run together. Today was Wednesday, so it was Dino Vassilis. Yeah, so it was yesterday. It was Tuesday. I had a chance to catch up with a guy that I've been wanting to ask one particular question of him for, I think it's been about six years now. Because back in 2015, Shaq Lawson was playing defensive end. He was All-American defensive end at Clemson. He was a star. Clemson played Oklahoma down in the Orange Bowl in a semifinal. Baker Mayfield and the Sooners. 
And Clemson came out with the win. But in that game, Shaq ended up getting hurt. He hurt his knee. Now, at the time, there were rumors about certain things, whatever the case. And you guys know how much I love college football. And so I thought, man, Clemson's going to be in some trouble against Alabama if Shaq can't play. Well, I didn't know the extent of it, but I wanted and I have wanted to ask Shaq that question for years. How did he play? Well, I finally had an opportunity to do just that. He was really fun to talk to. Here's Shaq Lawson. All right, it's about 1,000 degrees out here at practice. John Harris alongside Shaq Lawson. Now, Shaq, we all know you went to Clemson. We all know you played in Miami, and now you're here with the Texans. Which practice site was hotter in the dead of summer? South Carolina, Miami, or here? What uh, was here. the worst? This here, here, by far. Not, Not even, even close? close? Not even close, yeah. <laughs> Houston, way worse. It's, today worse than any other? Um, today was bad, but it don't had its days. I feel like that first week of camp, trying to get used to it, was oh. terrible for me. How hard is that for guys that come into this? I mean, you've at least been in South Carolina. You've been in Miami. You've felt it a little bit. But some of these guys come from the north. They have no idea. Yeah, I, I feel bad for those guys that's, that's trying to get adjusted or teams even play down here. But I understand why now all the Texas teams got dorms now. Cause it makes <laughs> sense. It makes sense. I never knew why. Okay, why they got a dorm stay, stadium yeah. here in Dallas. But I never knew. But now being out here to practice, I know for sure. I love that roof more every single day, especially uh, in September. Okay, I've been waiting I th- years, I think, to ask you this this one particular question. I mean, I've been a huge, I've been a college football guy for a long, long time. You played in a championship game that you probably shouldn't have been walking mm-hmm. after an injury that you suffered in the semifinal. How in the heck did you end up playing in that championship game? And then not only that, how did you end up making plays in that championship game to help your team? Man, that's crazy. I sit here and ask myself the other day, like, I think because I was just young at the time, but at the time I had like a torn MCL and a torn labrum. And that whole week I couldn't practice. And I I told myself, man, I'm going to try to go. I I need this is a national championship. You don't never know when you're going to get the opportunity again to play the national championship. So I ended up going. Well, that morning I woke up feeling like kind of straight. Got a little couple more treatment section. And I said, man, I think I can go. They're like, you sure? I'm like, yeah, I'm positive, man. And I'm going. I didn't think I was going to make no plays at first. I thought, yeah. okay, I'm going to be out there for my team. Yeah. Whatever I got, I get. But yeah, I ended up making a couple sacks. Then I started, I, during the game, I started getting comfortable with it. Yeah. Um, I know I was kind of gassed because I ain't, I ain't played since that Oklahoma game, so yeah. I was kind of tired. But yeah, it was. It, I, I ask myself now how I went back and, and played still. Yeah. I still don't know. I still don't know. I watched you play that night. I'm like, he's got a torn MCL. That's 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 weeks, almost months, and yet you're on the field playing, and that seemingly is kind of the, the hallmark of your game, your your toughness. Uh, violence is a bad word yeah. outside of football, but in football, violence, violence, and toughness, those seem to be hallmarks of your game. Am I off on that? Oh no, you're right. You're right. You know, um, man, if something hurt, a little minor thing, I'm gonna try to go. That's, I just I always had that in my head, like. It could be worse, you know. I always, I think my dad learned it from my pops. If it ain't broke, you good. You yeah. feel me? Yeah. Like, if, like just get up. So, <laughs> I think that stuck with me as a, growing up. Like, yeah. if it ain't broke, you good. So maybe be bruised. You know, we're gonna be bruised. It's football, most toughest sport it is. You're gonna be bruised, hurt every day. Yeah. That's our job. But yeah, man, that's my game. Toughness. Uh, play hard and stuff like that. Hey, 
you and your dad and my dad might have been brothers, man, because I would hear that all the time. If I was on the field at any point, it would be like, get up. I'm like, up. dad, my ankle, ankle is like yeah. going that way. Oh, man. Okay. I started this segment a couple weeks ago with one of the offensive linemen. It's called Say Something Nice About. It's a pretty simple concept. Say Something Nice About Whitney Merciless. Um, he the coolest OG vet I've been yeah. around. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. The coolest, yeah. He he still act like he, not my age. Yeah, but he still he still sound like he's one of the younger guys. You know, I've been yeah, around yeah, yeah. a vets. Yeah, yeah, old vets. You're a vet. Yeah, I'm a vet, but he's an OG. He's an OG. Yeah, yeah. Okay. so an OG. Okay. You know, he been in the game long, ten plus years. You know, I've been around. You know, I say I've been around some savage vets. You know, yeah. some leaders like Kyle Williams and all those guys. Yeah. You know, with he's a vet. He's still gonna lead, but yeah. he still got that playful in it. Yeah, lad, crack jokes. And yeah. that's what I like about Wit, man. That's why I call him OG Wit. Say something nice about Jacob Martin. Um, So he's a vet. He's not an OG, he's so not he's a, a vet. vet. He's a fan, you yeah. know what I'm saying? He, he's a vested vet. You know? Yes. Um, Jacob Martin. I can say nice about I got one. I got one for you. Cross chop. Yeah, that's what I was thinking that yeah. too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Lethal cross chop, you know. That's what we know, Jacob Martin, for cross-chopping. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, say something nice about probably a guy you've faced before, Laramie Tunsil. Man. All pro, GOAT, the best in the game. Yeah. Right, it's My ridiculous. Hands down. Ridiculous. Yeah. Say something nice about South Carolina Gamecocks. Boo! Shaq, I appreciate your time, man. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you. So funny follow-up. I hit stop on the record right at that moment. And right as I did, Shaq was telling me a story that when he was at Clemson, he had some friends on the South Carolina basketball team, and he was wishing them luck. So he tweeted out at some point, hey, wishing my guys luck, Gamecock basketball, whatever. And he said he got absolutely destroyed by the people at Clemson. And I, I get it. I get it. If you wish good luck to your rival, the uh, fans and followers of that particular school are probably going to be none too happy. But there were a lot of them like, yo, what are you doing? And so we had a long discussion as we were walking off the field about that, about how weird that must be that you grow up with these guys, some of them are your great friends, and then one goes to Texas, one goes to Texas A&M, and all of a sudden you might love each other because you grew up with one another, but man... I mean, you can't publicly support that particular person. That, that person with A&M, everybody expects you to hate them. I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting. And Clemson, South Carolina is as bitter as any rivalry you're going to find. Florida, Florida State, Clemson, South Carolina, Auburn, Alabama, Texas, Texas A&M. They are bitter, bitter rivals. So uh, it all makes sense in some way, shape, or form. It's kind of the way I feel about people from Harvard. But that's a whole different story for another time. A big thanks to Dino Vasso, Greg Jackson, to Danny Barrett, to Drew Doherty, to Mark Vandermeer, to DP City, to Carmen Vitale, to Shaq Lawson, to all of you for listening. Thank you so much. We will see you tomorrow. And as always, go Texans.